good to good to see all of you here today. And I know that uh, there's all kinds of sickness going around and all kinds of stuff. We had a couple people in our house that uh, had 103, 104 temperatures for a few days. So far, I have not gotten sick. Uh, I got COVID last year at Christmas. I got COVID the year before at Christmas. This week, our family was tested. It was not. It was the flu. Uh, the ones that got sick, it was not. Uh, so I guess the flu is now winning. COVID's like, uh, but I don't know. Uh, regardless, um, there's a lot of sickness. I know we got a lot of people that are homesick, even here, here in the CCR family. So we're praying for those that are sick and those that are already traveling. But uh, in spite of all that, Merry Christmas to all of you. And, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting that this is the time of year when germs and everything are more out there. But uh, nevertheless, uh, it's uh, this time of the year that we get to celebrate the Lord. And I hope uh, all of you are having a good Christmas season. Uh, we had uh, just a uh, a great early part of the month so far, and um, I think uh, we didn't get a chance to put them up, but we'll have some pictures, I think, next Sunday on the, the middle school kids had a big uh, thing on Wednesday night. Um, but Merry Christmas, and hope uh, that uh, you are getting your last-minute things done. Does everybody have every single thing done that they intended to get done? Um, every year, uh, Thanksgiving was a little bit early, which was kind of nice, because uh, it felt like we had a little extra time. And I still will find three or four things, I guarantee you, the last minute, I'm like, how did I miss that? I mean, how did I not have that done? But uh, we're, glad to, we're glad to be here together and to worship this morning, singing the Christmas song. But um, I don't have anything in the way of announcement. I just do want to remind people, as Dr. Russ had mentioned, come out Friday night if you're able to. Uh, we don't have a Christmas Eve service this year, a Christmas Eve Eve, uh, because Christmas falls on a Sunday and we intend to have a service, although... Uh, it'll be a one-hour service next Sunday at 10.30. So if you come here, I already told the 8.30 crowd, if they come here at 8.30, they are free to have a service in the parking lot, in the field, whatever they want to do. But there won't be anyone here uh, to welcome them. And uh, then here at the 10.45, uh, well, if you come at 10.45, you'll have already missed the first 15 minutes. So it's a 10.30 service. And we plan to be done right around 11.30. Uh, so that's next Sunday. And then this uh, Friday night, 5 o'clock. And that's about an hour, too. So... Uh, you know, we'll be done around six o'clock. And so we try and do things that are done well, but uh, also we know there's a lot on people's plate this time of year. So just keep those things in mind. Uh, as we pray for revival, uh, our nation uh, still needs Jesus who came to this world and he came to be a savior. He came to save sins and he didn't come to make uh, the people of Israel more powerful or anything like that. And I look at our country and we have so many things, but we are also so far away from the Lord. And so all the things that, all the things that God has given us have, instead of being grateful for them, they have become, yeah, they've become idols. And so we are praying for revival. We've been praying for revival. And so we're going to do what we've been doing ever since we started with the pandemic, just we realize, we, Lord, we really need you. And God has sustained us, uh, his grace through these things. So we've been getting on our knees. We're going to do that again. Just about 45 seconds. If you're visiting with us, this is something maybe you're not familiar with. Uh, it's not uh, at the end. I don't know if Jackson's still, still in, are you still singing the same song? And uh, it says in the hymn, fall on your knees. That's right. 
Remember it says right there? So that's what we're doing. We, we've been getting on our knees ever since the pandemic started. Just about 45 seconds of silence. We don't have the knee pads that they had in the old, old uh, churches in front of the, you know, right, the pew, hymn books. You, you young kids don't know what a hymn book is, do you? Yeah. You don't know what a phone book is, you don't know what a hymn book is, but it used to be if you wanted to sing a song, you had to have a book in front of you, and you open the book and the pages. And if you wanted to find someone's number, you had a bigger book at home that was about this thick and either yellow or white, and that's how you found anything. You didn't, there was no such thing as Google. You didn't just search. And uh, anyway, but I'm, I'm going back in time here. But if you're able to get on your knees, please take about 45 seconds of silence. Let's pray for revival for our nation and awakening the church, then we'll get into God's word together. Father, we humbly come before you. We know you're a holy God. You're a mighty God. You're worthy of all of our praise. And Lord, we are thankful that we come to your throne room. And we approach it, Lord, seeking your grace and your mercy and your help, as the book of Hebrews tells us, Lord. And so we need all three. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your help this morning. Lord, even those of us who have been born anew by the Spirit of God, Lord, we fall and fail so often. So we ask that, Lord, even our own sins and transgressions, some we might not be aware of, Lord, you'd wash us and cleanse us. Lord, we also intercede for those that, uh, Lord, in our nation have other gods that cannot save them, that cannot take them to heaven, that cannot keep them from escaping an eternal uh, eternity in hell. And, Lord, so we pray that uh, that you would turn the eyes of our leaders and our neighbors and our friends and our family members that maybe we'll even see during this Christmas season and co-workers, Lord, that don't know you as Lord and Savior, they would turn to the true and living God. And that is only through Jesus, your only begotten Son. And Lord, we just pray that you'd bring a work of repentance in our country. Many don't even think the things that they're involved in are sin, but they are, and they'll give an answer for them. So we pray, Lord, that you would turn the hearts of children to their parents and parents to their children and uh, husbands and wives, you'd repair marriages and you would just restore, uh, Lord, so many things that are broken. Lord, yeah. deliver people from addictions and sins yes. and immorality and all these things. We just pray, Lord, that you'd bring about a great awakening and a revival. And Lord, as we've been praying for the nations, we prayed last week for the nation of Somalia. We pray today, Lord, for this nation of Norway, a small population, Lord, but uh, both the people that are there and the indigenous populations that were there and still there in the northern part of the country, we pray that from north to south in Norway there would be a revival in that country and all around the world. And we also pray, Lord, for our persecuted brothers and sisters. Lord, you deliver them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And as you find your seat, I did want to pray for one other thing. My wife just informed me before I got up here. And I think she got a text from Lisa Casey, right? So you guys know that Dave Casey used to be Tawan's assistant on worship. And Dave and Lisa served for you know, uh, what, six or seven years on the worship team. And uh, God took him away to uh, the Raleigh, North Carolina area for a job transfer. And Pastor Kevin Edwards, I, I know Pastor Kevin. 
Um, you know, we've, we've talked to each other numerous times over the years, and uh, he came out of Pastor Rodney Finch's church uh, there in Calvary Chapel, Cary, so I've known him uh, for a decade or longer. Uh, his wife suddenly died, was it last night? Suddenly died last night. Uh, he's like, I think me and Kevin are the exact same age. I think we're both 53. And um, he had left a job in banking as I left a job in software and high tech and around the same time to do what we're doing. And as I want to stop and pray for Kevin in, the, in Calvary Chapel, Clayton, North Carolina, as I know uh, this is shocking to them and, and they're grieving this morning. So I want to just pray. I just found this out. Lord, we also lift up Pastor Kevin, Lord, that you would hold him. I, I don't have any idea if he would intend to preach today, or even if he has, or, or even if you would want him to, or even if he'd be able to. But Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen him, uh, the elders, the deacons, the, 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 those that will be coming alongside of him, Lord, uh, the church, uh, what a devastating loss. And Lord, we've seen others that have lost loved ones uh, right around Christmas, and we know how hard it is. And so, Lord, we just pray that um, your grace would be powerful and sufficient. And Lord, you would comfort, the God of all comfort would comfort Kevin and uh, the entire team there at Calvary Chapel, Clayton, we ask that you administer to them and, uh, Lord, just help them as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can turn with me to two places, Luke, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Uh, we'll step away from the book of John. We'll be out of the book of John for the next couple of weeks. Next Sunday. This Friday, I'll share a mini message in the uh, Christmas Eve Eve service. And then um, we have New Year's Day coming up after that. I will do something different that day as well. That'll also be a one-hour service at 1030 because New Year's Day falls on a Sunday this year. So we have back-to-back Christmas Day and New Year's Day. Um, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read, I'm not going to read the whole genealogy there in chapter 1, but let me pick up with verse 17 of Matthew chapter 1. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until Christ, until the Christ, are 14 generations. Now, The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. Notice it says your wife. They were already married in the betrothal. We'll get to that later. Uh, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated... God with us. And Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took his wife, took him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Now over to Luke chapter 2, although I do want to read a couple of verses in Luke chapter 1 as well. 
Zacharias was the father of John the Baptist. And in uh, Luke chapter 1, so let me read a couple of quick verses there. And starting verse 67 of chapter 1, now the father Zacharias, now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began. So uh, God gives to Zacharias that some of what relates to Jesus' coming was even before, let's say, the prophet Isaiah, long before, because he said his prophets, plural, have been since the world began. So even further back, maybe some things that we haven't seen that Jesus was teaching on the road to Emmaus, where he said that all things in the Old Testament are the Tanakh referred to him. Over to chapter 2. Now I'm not going to read the first couple of verses where Caesar Augustus, uh, the census is mentioned in verse 1 and 2, but pick it up with me in verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. He was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying at a manger or a feed trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your written word. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, that you have fulfilled all things. And Lord, that you're even now fulfilling things that are yet to come. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we open your word, Lord, you would still our minds, settle our hearts. Lord, remove any distractions. And Lord, that we would draw nearer to you, that you would change and transform. I pray that you would do this here and those that are watching online, those that are maybe at home sick watching. Lord, I pray for their healing. And Lord, we pray that your word would minister as you would have it to each and every ear and every heart, what you would have it to do in Jesus' name. And Lord, I also pray for your anointing. I could never do this without your help or strength in Jesus' name. Amen. And by the way, those of you online, welcome to you as well, especially those that are home uh, sick and things of that nature. But against the backdrop of 4,000 years of waiting and a small strip of land in the Middle East between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River in the midst of arguably the most impactful empire, the Roman Empire, in the history of the world, a baby was born. 
a birth that had all of heaven's attention, but had the attention of a relatively small amount of people on the earth at that time. And here we are 2,000 years later in 2022. This birth is now known to nearly all of the world's 8 billion people. Almost everyone on earth has heard that a baby was born in Bethlehem. They might not know anything about it. They might not know much about the story. They might not know the gospel itself. But if you ask them, hey, have you ever heard that a sitting in Bethlehem, a baby was born named Jesus? Yeah, I, I heard that. But because of this birth, many millions, many millions that are already in heaven, including many of us right here, because of that birth, we have had the opportunity to be born a second time. Amen? But this entry of Christ into the world that we now refer to as Christmas, which means now, I think you would agree with me, different things to different people. What I mean by that is even among people that have an inkling of the origin of Christmas, as in its initial remembrance, for many today it's about gifts, shopping, Amazon, Santa, Christmas parties, Christmas movies, Christmas music, Christmas foods. We were at uh, our youngest daughter, senior in high school, was uh, in her uh, Christmas um, nutcracker performance yesterday. And, and one of the songs, it was an updated version, it says it's Christmas, all about the cookies. And I will agree that there's a lot of really good cookies this time of year. So many, in fact, that... Um, it's uh, nearly unanimous, at least among adults, that come New Year's, we all enter in this resolution to lose a few pounds starting January 1st, which we really didn't need to get there. It, December wrecked our whole year, and uh, now we're right back to square one. But we know that all of these things are tradition-based additions that look nothing like the first Christmas, right? They really don't have anything to do with the first Christmas, Yet it's interesting that we don't just celebrate Christmas Day like we do Thanksgiving or the 4th of July. We don't have like weeks of watching 4th of July movies. We don't have weeks of preparing for 4th of July. We don't have 4th of July parties on eight days before it and all around it. No. We celebrate and have for generations now the Christmas season which does include Christmas Day. But what was revealed in that very first Christmas was the fulfillment of a season, and in fact, many seasons, centuries, prophecies, and promises, all pointing to one specific promise, who was a person. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, The Promise Revealed. It's uh, just part of a three-part Promise Fulfilled series uh, today, Friday night, a small one, and then uh, next Sunday in our 1030 service, the singular service. But I think the opening words of Matthew's transition from the genealogy into how these things came to pass are significant. Of course, everything in Scripture is significant, but it underscores not a singular day, what, what, what Matthew goes on to describe. It's not a singular day, but a season even the season of Mary's pregnancy, but beyond that. And what transpired in that season and what was fulfilled in that season, we know is the giving of a son, God giving us his son, which culminates, the giving of the son, the birth, culminates on a specific day, 
that we now celebrate as Christmas. I know many of you, and certainly this applies to me and my family, love the Christmas season. Since some of y'all like the Christmas, I mean, all, all that it has, all of it, all the stuff that you know has nothing to do with the original story, you like that too. And you know that there was no gingerbread cookies that night. None. They didn't even know what a gingerbread cookie was. But the lights, the sounds, the smell of a fresh cut tree, the year our tree fell in the middle of the night and knocked things over, all of that stuff, you know. Um, for most of us, unless you're a complete Scrooge, and if you are, you know who you are, um, these things are pleasant to our senses. There's even a drop, this is actually really nice, there's even a drop of political vitriol in the Christmas season, for the most part. Some people never give it up, but there's a few. Store clerks and baristas might say Merry Christmas. You might say it back. And there really is a bit of what we would call the Christmas spirit and what we feel when all these things are happening around us. We feel It feels like the Christmas spirit. But we can lose, we can easily lose track of what happened 2,000 years ago was for our souls, not our senses. It was for our souls, not our senses. So we need to be intentional as we're doing this this morning and remembering the mercy, the glory, and the majesty of what God planned and what he promised and what he revealed. And this perfect book that you're holding, the Bible, the scriptures, this perfect book lays out just how amazing and intricate and majestic the Christmas story is. Likewise, it also tells us what the Christmas story isn't. Everything that God has written in his word is to be read, is to be studied, is to be appreciated, and ultimately, this is why we gather as saints to be disciples, is to be applied. If it's not applied, it's not really helping us. I already mentioned that I enjoy the Christmas season and, and I plan to celebrate Christmas Day next Sunday and I plan to celebrate it if I'm here 10 years from now and beyond. I mean, I enjoy the Christmas season and Christmas Day as well. Yet I'm fully aware, for those of you that might ever give me a video or something like that, I'm fully aware, as I've had these before in the past, I'm fully aware that there is no passage of Scripture that tells us to have an annual or regular commemoration of the birth of Christ. I, I know that there's no verse that tells us, make sure, church, that you all get together and remember the birth in Bethlehem. In the same way that we are commanded, for example, to remember the Lord's Supper. We know that we are told to take of it until the, Jesus' return, to retake and continue to retake. We know we're told to gather once a week, at least as the saints. We know those things and, and to worship just as was outlaid uh, even in the Old Testament and then, and then with the coming of the New. But that said, there are no passages like manner. There's no passage forbidding us to remember and to celebrate and commemorate the birth of Christ. Whether it's yearly, whether it's monthly, whether it's daily, or any other frequency. And I'd say this, if the angels come out of heaven to celebrate his birth, we can safely say it's worth celebrating. Amen? That ought to be a clue. Now, the word Christmas, it first appeared in the 12th century. Uh, it literally means Christ Mass, M-A-S-S. Mass is the old English reference for a church service. So the combined meaning is Christ 
church service. It's one of the main reasons we will have a Christmas service next Sunday. It's Christ's church service. How do we arrive at celebrating on December 25th? Well, it's widely speculated and debated. At the end of the day, we don't really know. Some argue that Hippolytus of Rome in 200 AD, that some say he proposed Christmas Day as the birth of Christ on December 25th. Uh, there was all, already Roman uh, pagan holidays around that same time. Uh, while it's also said that his own censored writings, which are actually kept in the Vatican Library, which some have seen them, uh, but that's where they're at. Some say that he said the precise opposite, that he said it was not December 25th. So uh, we really don't know. There are other candidates as well that I'll have time to get into. But at any rate, we don't know exactly when Christmas began to be celebrated annually or why the December 25th date became uniformly the day around the world. Uh, but it definitely transpired in the last, we'd say, thousand years or so. For me, I am celebrating, and hopefully all of us are celebrating, his birth, not the date. Amen. His birth. We're celebrating the birth of Christ, not specifically the date, but we, you, you still have to have a date to do anything. You know, you can celebrate. We have celebrated our anniversary at times, not on the actual day of our anniversary. Anyone ever done that before? You say, hey, we're going to do it three months earlier because it's warmer or whatever else it may be. <laughs> That's why you do things like that. So there's, there's practical reasons at times. So we're celebrating his birth, not specifically the date. January 1st, we celebrate a day. It has to be, that is the new year, every single year. Thanksgiving, I already mentioned. Thanksgiving, we celebrate we should be celebrating with an attitude. The original intention was an attitude of thankfulness for God's provision. Now it's turned in a whole bunch of other things, but we don't celebrate Thanksgiving on a bunch of other days. And it doesn't fall the same day every year either, as you know. But Christmas, we celebrate, or should be, we're celebrating the promised birth of the Messiah. Now, although I don't believe we're to be hung up on the date. I don't believe we need to be hung up on the date, especially when there's no scriptural command uh, or even a scriptural guarantee of the date. I personally don't believe that the date was the date we celebrate on December 25th. I don't believe that Jesus personally, uh, I don't believe he was born on the 25th of December. I there is room for debate. There are people that have written books about why they think it is the 25th or why they think it was a fall birth. Or, uh, but we'll look at um, what I believe the scriptures really point to. But as I mentioned last week, and I'm not really dogmatic on it. I mean, uh, there's believers all over the world. And if some of them think it's the 25th, if some of them think it was in the fall, some of us think, like I do, that it's in the spring, um, there's room because it's not, a, it's not an essential to faith. We, know, we all agree that the story is identically the same. Everything I read, we all are reading the same story. We know this is how it happened. Uh, but um, I believe that the evidence points to, and I hope that uh, you'll, you'll uh, be blessed by this this morning, I believe the evidence points to an amazing portrait that reveals more of Jesus and more of his image in the law, in the prophets, in the nation of Israel itself, and in the feast. And that's what we'll be looking at for a few minutes this morning. The scriptures themselves are the clues to an even greater and even more meticulously designed culmination than most people 
are aware of. In 2 Corinthians uh, 1.20, and I have it up on the screen, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen. Amen means yes, means even so. It means truth. All the promises of Jesus, every promise in the Bible ultimately is this. Notice what the verse says. Every promise is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. All the promises are fulfilled in Christ. In Galatians 4.4, 4, same writer, Paul, the Apostle Paul, but when the fullness of time had come, and we just read about that uh, in both Matthew and Luke, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, that woman being Mary, born under the law. When Jesus came, the law was still in full effect. All the laws of the Old Testament, of the Torah, were in full effect. Jesus had not yet come and establish the new covenant. What Matthew and Luke record and describe is the unveiling of the Messiah. Everything that we read in those two passages is the unveiling of the Messiah, which is the revealing of our salvation according to the truth of prophecy at the exact, it had to be the exact, every little thing had to be exactly the way God timed it, the exact fulfillment of God's timing. But some of the promises in the scriptures were not spelled out verses. Some of them were portraits. They were pictures with the, what the New Testament calls in the book of Hebrews types and foreshadows. You ever seen that word? We talked about that when I went through the book of Hebrews. Types and foreshadows. And I want us to see or to re-see, if you will, some of the pictures the Lord was revealing in Matthew chapter 1, in Luke chapter 2, among other places, from Abraham, who God chose to start the Jewish people with. Then you get the 12 tribes, later under the sons of Jacob, one of those tribes being Judah. Jesus will come to the tribe of Judah, to the line of David, but from Abraham all the way to Bethlehem. And then finally revealed in the life of Christ. Now we know that in the genealogy of Abraham, who was the first, he was the forefather, he was the first of the patriarchs, we're actually called sons and daughters of Abraham by faith because we have a like faith. He believed God. It was accounted to him as righteousness. We believe God. It was counted to us as righteousness. But Abraham, who was the first in the genealogy of Matthew's genealogy, Abraham was a shepherd. Then it goes 14 generations to David, who was a shepherd. Then it goes to the captivity of Israel in Babylon, who at that time, they were sheep without a shepherd. Then it goes from the captivity to Jesus, who was the good shepherd. All that in the genealogy, just in that little bit that he spells out. David will also go on to become God's chosen king, from whom Jesus will come through the line of David via both parents, both Mary and Joseph were of the line, genealogy-wise, of David. And because a census is given at the exact precise time by Caesar Augustus, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, also called the city of David. David was a shepherd boy who later will take the throne. Jesus will leave a throne to come and shepherd his people, 
But he will eventually not only sit on his heavenly throne, which is where he's seated right now today. He's already on the throne. He's also in our hearts if we've been saved. But there's coming a day when Jesus will not only sit on the heavenly throne, but he'll also come and sit on the literal throne of David in Jerusalem in Mount Zion. That's coming in the future millennium. Bethlehem, I have this up on the screen. Bethlehem, where David was born and Jesus was born, it means house of bread. That's what the name Bethlehem means. It also has some other names there. City of David, for example. Now, Jesus said, now, he's born in the city that's called the house of bread. What did Jesus say about himself? Well, he said about himself in John 6, 41, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Going back to what we refer to as the Christmas story, Joseph and Mary, they were anticipating and hoping for the Messiah to come just like many others in Israel, in the Jewish community, in the, in, in the tribes of Israel. They were praying, God, send the Messiah. We've heard of the Messiah. We need a Messiah. We, we know he's coming from the, the family of David. Come and get us out from under the tyranny of the Roman taxation. And sometimes they crucify people for no reason at all. And, they're, and, and, and they're, it's very much a society that has no sexual morals and all these different things. They're like, get us out from under all of that. Now they were hoping that the Messiah would come. They believed that the Messiah would come. They just probably never thought they would be involved in it. But what was revealed to them would be just as shocking to them as it would be to us when Gabriel... Now, Gabriel appears to Mary, but even before he ever appears to Mary, and I have it up on the screen, the angel Gabriel was the same Gabriel that came to Daniel, the prophet, five hundred years earlier, and he gave to Daniel a 70-week prophecy that would actually define the timeline, the 490 years or so, till Jesus came. And I have it up on the screen. And we see that, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, now, he's not a man like us, he's an angel. How do we know? Because he flew, being caused to fly swiftly, reaching me about the time of the evening offering. Uh, one of the things I find interesting uh, in the Christmas season, any of you ever watch the Christmas movies where elves are like 300 years, 400 years old, 700 years old? Uh, and I, I don't know where this even came from that elves are like centuries old or something like that. But Gabriel can actually play this role. He actually can say, I was talking to Daniel about 500 years ago, right? He's been around to see, he's been God's chosen angel as we believe that Gabriel was the angel in charge of the nation of Israel, that he was their guardian angel, their messenger for important messages. He would stand for the nation, and I believe that will be his role, and it still is. So Gabriel could tell you, yeah, back when Moses was here, you know, all these different things. Then, 500 years later, Gabriel comes to Mary, same angel. And I have that on the screen as well. So, and the angel answered and said, and said to him, um, I'm sorry, here, yeah, he comes to, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you to bring these glad tidings. So the, the angel Gabriel will come and speak to Mary and inform her of these glad tidings that she would bear a son, 
thus fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14. So the prophet Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The prophecy that a son would be born to a virgin becomes a fulfilled sign. If First it was a prophecy, but once the angel Gabriel says, you're going to have a child, and she does come to be pregnant, the Holy Spirit overshadows her, and she is now pregnant, um, then what was a prophecy becomes a fulfillment. And not just a fulfillment, but now it's a sign. And unlike any other sign, because you would know that the sign is when you see a woman who's never been with a man get pregnant, which will only happen once in the history of humanity, that's your sign that the Messiah is on the way. That's it. Mary, when this happens, because she's as surprised as anybody, like uh, there was other godly women God could have chosen. We don't know why he chose her. There was other godly men that God, God could have chosen other than Joseph. There was other men God could have chosen other than David or Moses or, or uh, Samson or anyone else. But God chose them. And she's certainly confused by it all, but we know that she believes and she worships and says she, her soul magnifies the Lord. And so whatever she uh, doesn't understand about why God would put the Savior of Israel, the one that could save them from their sins, in her, she does not know, but she accepts it by faith and begins to worship God. Joseph, who is already betrothed to Mary, he's already in the marriage the initial phase of the Jewish marriage is betrothal. The closest thing we would have is engagement, but it's, but it's deeper than engagement. When they're betrothed, they're already married. When we're engaged, we're committed to that marriage date, but they're already married, but they haven't had the honeymoon, they haven't consummated the marriage, and they haven't had the last part, which is to move in to a home together. Why Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. We, we are in the marriage with Jesus, but we are not in the home with him yet. We're still here until he brings us home. That'll be the last part of the marriage of the lamb and, uh, or the, and the groom and the bride. So he's still in this, uh, he's in this marriage relationship with her. Uh, he does not panic, but he comes close. Uh, he decides what he will do because he's a just man. He seems to be a very kind and compassionate man. He decides to get her away from the local community and spare her reputation and also his own. But an angel comes to him in a dream. We're not sure which angel. This time it doesn't tell if it's, if it's Gabriel or somewhere else. But an angel comes to him in a dream and says, don't be afraid. Continue in the betrothal phase. Continue in the marriage. You're already married. Stay in the marriage. Don't break it. He would have had grounds to break it on what would be adultery. But he doesn't break it. He's told to keep the marriage intact, and the angel says that child that's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has placed the child in her. This becomes the second witness. So angel one, angel two, Mary becomes a witness that she is pregnant. Joseph becomes a witness that she's pregnant. And they are both witnesses that there was no coming together as husband and wife do, that this was purely done by God. Both would be witnesses of that. They could, you could ask Joseph, nope, I did not have relations with her. God came upon her. Mary would say the same thing. The angel of the Lord came to me. And so they would be both witnesses of this prophecy being fulfilled that Mary's pregnancy, as Isaiah 7:14 says, would be a virgin conception, the only one. 
in the history of humanity. Much like Aaron's rod, I've talked about Aaron's rod before, it would bud with blossoms. That's not possible except by the hand of God, right? If God says, hey, if God wanted to make this pulpit, all of a sudden flowers start shooting out of it, he can do that. This, it, otherwise, it tusses dead wood, but that's really easy for God. And if he wants to say, you now have my son, that's what he can do. He has that kind of power. But furthermore, Joseph is told not only to stay in the marriage and to trust that God has endowed her with the son that was promised in the, in the scriptures. Joseph is told that this child will not be named by Joseph. In other words, Joseph can't select the name. And he will not be named after Joseph, which is very common in the Jewish community to name your son after yourself. But in fact, God had chosen the name just as he did with Isaac for Abraham, who started the genealogy, and we see a repeating pattern. Abraham didn't choose the name Isaac. God chose the name Isaac. Get to the end of the genealogy, God chooses the name of his son, and what name does he say to name him? Jesus. And the name will also mean the mission. The name means the mission. What is the mission? He will save his people from their sins. Not he will save the people from Rome. Not he will save the people from Rome's sins. Rome had a lot of sins. This is what's why, so, why the gospel is so important. The gospel tells you about your sin, not everyone sitting around you. It's, well, you can see everybody else's, but he will save you from your sin, the people from their sins. And they might not have thought that they needed a savior because they were born of Abraham. No, you need a savior. You, just because you were born of Abraham, which Jesus would have these discussions with the scribes and Pharisees, they needed a savior. In other words, the people needed a savior, Israel needed a savior, but all people, the whole world needs a savior. In verse 22, you don't have to turn there, but we read it. In verse 22, he says, all this was done to fulfill the prophets. And then in verse 23, the angel goes on to say, not only will his name be Jesus, but he has another name, Emmanuel. Jesus has more than one name. You guys all know this, right? Prince of Peace, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, King of Kings, the Lamb of God. All these are names of Jesus. But he's told, you're going to name him Jesus, but he also will have the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in this birth, this son that will be born, he will be both Savior and God, not like a God, God. Equal to God the Father, because in fact he is. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now in concert with all of this, God ensures, the providence, the sovereignty of God, God ensures that a man named Caesar Augustus is in power. And that this Roman emperor, which was of all the Roman emperors, they didn't all have the same amount of power at times. Sometimes the Senate infighting. Sometimes they were barely holding on control. Not Caesar. Caesar Augustus had the whole, he had it all. He had kind of the apex of power. And uh, God ensured that Caesar Augustus was in power. And that he issues a decree that everyone would return to their ancestral home for a census. Not just say, this is where I'm from. They had to return there. And everybody gather and be counted by Roman officials as then this would determine things related to taxes and other things. For Joseph, 
This means leaving Nazareth and going to Bethlehem. Interesting that, you know, this all has to happen in this specific season. And God makes sure that everything, I mean, everything has to land just in her month of pre- months of pregnancy. And Joseph would have never, it wasn't like a year earlier they were saying, you know what we should do? We should vacation in Bethlehem next year. It had not crossed their mind. It would be like you having no plans to be in another city this time next year. And God, and, and you don't plan it. You're told by the government, you will be here. But as the scriptures foretold, they had to be in Bethlehem at the time of the birth. Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphra, although you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. The ruler. The everlasting one. The one that has no beginning. He has no end. Now as Joseph and Mary, as they arrive in Bethlehem, and you guys have all seen the scene Mary is on the colt or on the donkey, Joseph leading her into Bethlehem. As they arrive in Bethlehem, it's a small city, but it's overcrowded. It's one of the smaller cities of the Judean area. So it's a small city, but it's overcrowded. I don't know, it'd be like going to a small town in Amelia or Palatine or something like that. It's just way overcrowded. Sorry if you're from those places. I love those places. But anyway... um, but the hills and the fields, it's, it's, it's crowded there. The hills and the fields around Bethlehem were well known for being the area that the sheep that were raised to be temple sacrifices, those were the hills and fields that those sheep were raised in. And springtime was the primary birthing season. For some breed of sheep, it's the only birthing season is in the spring. Quite a few of them, actually. But... Um, but for many, there are some breeds that can breed in other times. But for quite a few of the breeds, birthing season is in the spring. The shepherds there in Bethlehem would be out in the fields during the birthing season because when the female lambs are in that season, they're eating grass to produce milk, to lactate, and all that kind of stuff. And they need to be out in the fields because birth could happen at any time. Jesus said later when he comes back, birth pains could happen at any time time, right? So they're out, in the, they're out there in the fields in the birthing season, and in the, the rabbi's writings were told that they were pretty much asked to only be out like that all hours night during the birthing season, which was primarily in the spring. And if a lamb was born, particularly a lamb without blemish, does that ring a bell? If a lamb, a male lamb born without blemish was born, it was very common, especially among the temple shepherds, because these shepherds were the priesthood said, these are the shepherds that we want keeping these sheep. It was very common for them to wrap that newborn male lamb without blemish in swaddling clothes to keep it from any defects. Furthermore, they would often, especially if it's in the dark of the night and everything else, uh, you know, see little lambs, their legs are all wobbly. They would sometimes place it after they wrapped it in a feed trough called a manger. Wrap the lamb lay it in there in a manger, which was a hollowed out stone. If you've been to Israel, you know how rocky the area is, and they would take and just chisel out and hollow out, and they still do this all over the Middle East. Those would be the feed troughs. They last forever. Not, unlike a wooden thing that eventually rots, these stone mangers are there for thousands of years. I mean, they just, they're not going to go anywhere. And But putting them in there, that would keep them from getting trampled by the herd and, and the rest of the sheep. This spring birthing season 
was also the same season as Passover. Passover feast and spring birthing season were overlap, not overlapping, they were uh, in, in exact parallel. These newborn lambs would be kept with extraordinary care for the following year, because if you're born this year, they wanted to keep the lamb spotless and without defect for a full year. Why? Well, it's in Exodus 12:5. It's up on the screen. You, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. So these lambs that are born in the Passover season, spring birthing season, are kept. Now, if they have a blemish that's genetic, that's not going to matter. But if it's no genetic defect, you keep watch over them so they don't have any, they don't break a limb. Everything has to be, they have to be kept perfect and spotless. None of Jesus' bones were broken. They have to be kept perfect for a year. These newborns were destined to be sacrificial lambs. The shepherds, they had caves that they would use as stables. The caves um, would be in the side of hills and things like that. Inside the caves, they could put a manger chiseled out out of the rock itself. But also in Bethlehem's residential area, in the village itself, they had homes that were two-floor homes. I was going to put a diagram up like I did a couple weeks ago, but... I spared you of too much National Geographic stuff. So anyway, uh, but they had, these two, they had the two-floor homes, and the upper floor was where the rooms were, the guest rooms as well as the, the family's rooms. The lower floor was where the kitchen was, but also where your most important animals were kept. If you wanted eggs in the morning, if you wanted to milk the goat, uh, you had sheep milk or whatever, you might have a, and not a ton of animals, but a few were kept on the ground floor of the home. So what really took place, I believe, um, is because the shepherds, we know that they come from Bethlehem, uh, come, they come from the fields to Bethlehem to find the Savior. If he was already in one of their caves, they wouldn't have come to the city, but they come to the city. The angel said, he, you will find him in Bethlehem in the city proper, not just the fields around it. But they had mangers in the ground floor as well because the animals, while you're sleeping, they can still feed any time in the night. So they would have the same stone mangers would be in the ground floor of the residential homes as you would find in the caves. But there's no rooms in any of the homes. There's no second level lodging. There's no, there's no beds in any of the second levels of anywhere in the city. So like I said, based on the fact the shepherds were sent to Bethlehem to find the baby in the manger, I believe it's more likely that the birth was on the ground floor of one of these uh, residences um, in the ground floor among the animals, probably in the dark at night when everybody else was upstairs asleep. Regardless, um, on the night when the bread of life was born in the house of bread, when the good shepherd was born in the city of David the shepherd, surrounded by shepherds, watching the temple flocks that were being prepared for sacrifice, most specifically the upcoming Passover, which was at this point just been weeks away, we can't help but see the picture that's unfolding. Can you see it? But there's more, a little bit more. Uh, the Passover was on the 14th day of Nisan. Have you guys, do you guys know that? The Passover was on the 14th day of Nisan. The 14th day is the middle of the month, and that's when you get the full moon. Every Passover always has a full moon. There's never be a Passover without a full moon because Passover is related to the lunar calendar. It always is on the 14th of Nisan, always a full moon. Nisan 1, which is the first day of the month, is 14 days earlier, and that's a new moon. The new moon, you can't see anything 
but the moon is blocked out by the sun. So the first day of Nisan, Nisan 1, new moon. 14 days later, Passover and full moon. Israel was commanded to observe every month's new moon. So 12 times a year, they had to observe, just like a Sabbath, every new moon, 12 times. Which gave them pause to remember God's sovereignty as creator. He created the moon, he created the sun, he created the stars. His faithfulness in preserving his own people. That he is a God of new beginnings, every new year, every new month. Every, that's why every week we gather, Sunday is the first day of the week, and the new fresh starts. And, and to mark each one of these new moons with remembering, oh yeah, God needs to be first in my life. That said, um, each of the feasts as well, they also represent. So uh, you have the new moons, but then you have the feast. And I said Passover's coming up. Each of the feasts represent Jesus. Passover, for example, he is the lamb that's slain. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, he is our sinless substitute. For the Feast of First Fruits, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. For Pentecost, he's the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. For the Feast of Trumpets, which Sam did a great job of talking to us about back in the fall, for the Feast of Trumpets, he is gathering his bride at the sound of the trumpet. For the Feast of Atonement, Israel recognizes that Jesus is their only atonement. And then for the Feast of Tabernacles is Jesus returning to tabernacle on the earth as king and high priest. So uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, that's the millennium reign of Christ when he will come and tabernacle there in Jerusalem. And by the way, uh, those that propose, and there are some that propose that Jesus was born in the fall. Specifically, they believe he was born at the Feast of Tabernacles because he would come Emmanuel, God with us. They would come and tabernacle with us. Now, that feast speaks to his coming for the thousand-year reign to stay with us. The Feast of Tabernacles does not work because Joseph, as any Jewish man, would be called to be in Jerusalem for three of the feasts, one of which included the Feast of Tabernacles. He would have had to be in Jerusalem. He could not have been in Bethlehem or he would have been violating the law, violating the Torah. So he that does not work. He would have also had to been in Jerusalem if Jesus came at the Passover, which is the 14th of Nisan, the middle of the month. But he would not have to be in Jerusalem 14 days earlier, a full two weeks. We even know Jesus goes to Jerusalem on the eighth day to be circumcised, but he comes to Jerusalem in that first eight days. But Bethlehem, no conflict there. 14 days before Passover is what? That's the new moon. That's the first of Nisan. There may be a clue here in Psalm 81, verse 3. I'll put it up on the screen. It says, blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, on our solemn feast. You have a great announcement. The angels proclaiming at the new moon. 33 years later, you have a solemn supper of a lamb being led to the cross. And one last scriptural perspective, and there's a whole lot more that, uh, that I could have included, but frankly did not have the time uh, to fit it all in here this morning. Jesus said he was and is 
the temple. We talked about this uh, several times uh, recently in our study of the book of John. Go back to where he said specifically in John 2.19, he said, destroy this temple. He was speaking of his body. He was not speaking of Herod's magnificent temple. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. We know, I I talked about this a few weeks back, every one of the physical temples pointed to Jesus who is the temple. And we know when we get to the final temple in heaven, the Lamb is the temple. There's not a building. Jesus himself. All the temples pointed to him, including the first temple, which was a mobile temple called the tabernacle, the tabernacle in the wilderness. And we know that the tabernacle, they would fold it up and would move from place to place just as Jesus did in his earthly ministry. He was, the temp- he was the temple that was in Galilee, Jerusalem, and Samaria, and he would move around from place to place, just like the first temple, which was the tabernacle. It moved around from place to place. Jesus moved around on a circuit very similar as that first tabernacle did. Guess how many months it took to build the tabernacle? Nine months. Does that sound familiar? The same as the pregnancy period. It took nine months to build the tabernacle. When did the tabernacle first appear? When was the tabernacle kind of birthed or uh, raised up for the first time? On the first day of Nisan, in the spring, first day of the new moon of the new year, 14 days before Nisan 14 and the full moon and Passover. How do we know? Exodus chapter 40, verse 17 and it came to pass, this is after the nine months of building the tabernacle, it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that's Nisan 1, that the tabernacle was raised up. Notice the words, too, and it came to pass. Luke uses the same words in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and says, and it came to pass. Both say the same thing, and it came to pass. Now, I will joyfully celebrate Christmas next Sunday with my family and with our church family here. Uh, And I plan to do that uh, every December. I I celebrate the birth. Not so much the date, but the birth. But I personally believe the scriptures, the feasts themselves, the ordinances, the nation of Israel, the shepherds, all of it point to Jesus, in my view, and again, I'm not dogmatic about it. If you want to think it's another time, that's totally fine. But I believe it points to the spring on Nisan 1. When everything is new. Everything, it's the whole new year. It's not just a new month. It's the new year. By the one who we know, Scripture says, makes all things new. It makes perfect sense. Look in Revelation 21.5. Then he who sat on the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. His birth would usher in the new covenant, the New Testament, and all of our new creations and salvation. Amen? Amen. Now you might ask, okay, being born in the spring, the newness, the beginning, the new year, the starting point, we know new life bursts and blooms in the spring. That all makes sense. All of it, the, the, the new moon, the, the calendar, all of it makes sense. But you might ask, but wouldn't he also die in the spring? Because Passover is just 14 days later, and that's still springtime. Wouldn't he also die in the spring? And that's not a new, that's like an end. That's true. 
It's true that his death would coincide with the fullness when the moon becomes the full moon. Everything is fulfilled. That's where Jesus can say it is finished. But unlike anyone else, what happens three days later? Jesus raises himself up, which no one else ever does and could do. He raises himself up three days later, still in the spring. So in fact, he springs to life in the spring. He's the only one that dies, but also defeats death just three days later. So he, he has the newness in his same three, day, or th- or three days after uh, the Passover there. And so that resurrection, which by the way, if you recall, that resurrection day, three days later, where he springs to life in the spring, is also announced by angels. What happens when the women come to the tomb? They're met by angels who announce his resurrection, just as angels announce his birth. The shepherd guys in the beginning, uh, the women disciples of Jesus, uh, when, he, when he raises up uh, there in the Passover season. In both cases, his birth and resurrection, they pierced the darkness. It was, the early, it was before the sun had risen with his resurrection. It's in the middle of the night when the angels appear and, and, and light up the sky. But here's my hope and prayer this morning that you and I, that we are amazed by the miraculous birth of Jesus, by the majesty of Jesus, and the mission of Jesus, which is the saving of souls. That's why his name means Savior. But like the shepherds, but like the shepherds, what did they do? They went and got close to Jesus when they realized who he was. And when you realize who Jesus is, that's my prayer, is that you will get ever closer to him. And as you do, just as he makes all things new, I don't know about you, but I still have him, I still need him to do a lot of new things in me. How about you? I mean, a lot of new things. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you again this morning, and we thank you that your word It's so deep, it's so rich, it's so faithful, it's so true. Uh, It's beyond our comprehension, Lord. You you organize things down to the millisecond. Every feast, the the, the moon, the the planets, everything. Even the wise men would be watching the stars. We might get a chance to even look at that. But all of these things, Lord, every, every single thing was lining up that you would make a way for our salvation. And Jesus, we thank you that you came. Thank you. Lord, you came because we needed our sins forgiven. Yes. And we just worship you again this morning, Lord. We pray that you would do a new work in all of us. I don't care, Lord, how much we know you, we can know you more. Yes, Lord. And Lord, we can grow in your love. And so we yes. thank you for this time. Lord, as we close in worship, may you indeed just draw us nearer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, when this service ends, we'll have some folks over here if you need prayer. If you have questions about your own salvation, anything, we'd love to talk to you. But why don't you stand as we close and worship together?